0: Welcome to Jonathan on Money, the personal finance podcast that brings you the latest insights and strategies to help you achieve your financial goals. I'm your host, Jonathan I. Shankton. On this podcast, we'll cover everything from investing, financial planning, retirement, and behavioral finance. I'll share advice and practical tips to help you make the most of your money. So whether you're just starting out or looking to take your finances to the next level, Jonathan on Money is here to help. Let's dive into this week's show. Welcome to today's episode. This week, we're going In Focus, where we explore more advanced wealth planning topics. Today, we'll discuss last-minute 2023 wealth planning ideas, ensuring your clients make the right moves before year-end. Today's show will cover a variety of financial planning topics related to year-end planning. This includes timely strategies on investments, gifting, income tax planning, year-end estate planning, in light of the sunset of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act ideas for high interest rate environment, and more. This is a program I gave to an audience of accountants, attorneys, wealth advisors, and high net worth investors last week. So at times I get a bit in the weeds on some esoteric topics. However, there should be plenty of information here that's of interest for all listeners. With that, I hope you enjoy this week's show. So at the start of 2023, the uncertainty and economic turbulence we experienced in 2022 continued to dominate the economy, and caused the stock market volatility. As we approach the end of 2023, there is definitely cause for optimism as the market has rebounded, more economic data is released, indicating a strong labor market, and wages are keeping pace with inflation. As we head into 2024, there are a number of new opportunities for valuable year-end planning. The federal estate and gift tax exemption remained at an all-time high, and 2023 is the first year in which the SECURE Act 2.0 has been in effect, offering new approaches to income tax planning. Furthermore, we are one year closer to material changes to the state and gift tax environment as they are set to revert to pre-tax cuts and Jobs Act amounts beginning in 2026, While you cannot control the uncertainty and outcome of the current economy or the future tax environment, you can help create peace of mind with a well-structured plan that aligns with your personal, business, and financial needs and goals, meaning there can potentially be certainty amid all the uncertainty. Today I'll share 17 financial planning ideas to consider before year end that listeners can apply to their own life or within their practice. Some are not technical, but serve as a good reminder. Um, while others will be more in the weeds and can be beneficial to a certain group of sophisticated investors. First, let's start with some investment ideas, in particular, some year-end investment do's and don'ts. So first is do consider rebalancing your portfolio. Many parts of the market went down in 2023. Even though the S&P 500 is up meaningfully as of this program, that return has been driven primarily by seven large technology stocks, meaning there are areas of the market like REITs, international stocks, and investment-grade bonds that have underperformed the S&P 500. Many investors' asset allocation are probably out of whack, and it may make sense to rebalance your portfolio over the next several months to ensure your allocation is brought back to its appropriate risk tolerance. Rebalancing may also be a great way to potentially lock in some losses for tax planning purposes. Next is don't chase past performance. Now is a good reminder to stay away from the current hot strategy du jour. Every time the market is choppy, there is always some investment or portfolio manager that did phenomenally well. Unfortunately, it's impossible to know beforehand which strategy or manager that will be. This won't stop aggressive salesmen from capitalizing on a recent success, touting great returns, and encouraging investors to invest in yesterday's winners. As I always try to emphasize to my clients, the market moves in cycles. One year's lucky winners are oftentimes losers in the following years. The key is to stick with a proper asset allocation and plain vanilla investments that will allow you to achieve your goals. Chasing past performance will not work out in the long term. Next is do consider setting up an investment policy statement. One way to stick to a disciplined plan is by developing an IPS. An IPS helps define investors' goals, risk tolerance, and other considerations ensure they're on track to achieve their objectives. Most importantly, it will help investors ignore, ignore the noise and slick salespeople trying to sell them something imprudent. And here's a quick investment planning tip. Be sure to evaluate your current financial situation with your advisors to craft an appropriate strategy for the coming year. Do you have too much cash sitting on the sidelines? Did you come into a large sum of money this past year? Do you have a big expense on the horizon that will cause you to withdraw funds? Remember, Determining the best way to allocate your money based on your personal situation and current market conditions is essential. Furthermore, with money market yields paying around 5%, putting some of this cash into a risk-free money market so you get paid while you decide on how to deploy your funds may be a savvy decision. Next ideas regarding required minimum distributions or RMDs. RMDs apply to folks who are 72 or 73 if you reached age 72 after December 31st, 2022. If you are subject to RMDs and if you don't take them out, there will be a penalty. If you don't need your RMDs to pay your living expenses, explore other options like qualified charitable distributions, which I'll cover shortly. A good plan tip is to be intentional with how you handle your RMDs. This means reviewing your cash flow to see if you need the funds to pay your bills, and if not, Perhaps you can use these funds to achieve legacy charitable goals in a tax-efficient manner. There are many opportunities to efficiently handle your RMDs. Don't just go through the process of taking out the funds from your IRA without giving it any thought. Unfortunately, this unthoughtful approach is what, what is practiced by many, and it's a missed opportunity. Which brings me to the next idea, which is charitable giving. When it comes to giving charity, there are a myriad of creative options this year. As I just alluded to, there are qualified charitable distributions, or QCDs which is where individuals who are 70 and a half or older can donate all or a portion of their RMD directly to charity. QCDs are limited to $100,000 maximum annually per taxpayer. Regardless of the amount of your RMD for the year, you can give up to $100,000 to charities from your IRA as QCDs. Next is to consider the deduction for cash contributions. Under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the deduction for cash contributions directly to charity increased from 50% of AGI to 60%, including for gifts to donor-advised fund. After the sunset of this act, this limit will revert to 50%, so donors should consider maximizing their cash gifts today. Another idea is to donate appreciated stocks. Many investors may have long-held or concentrated stock positions with, with large embedded unrealized capital gains. This may be through accumulating shares from working at a company for many years the appreciation over decades of a long-held position, or investors having large gains in big tech stocks that keep rising and want to trim their position. For all these scenarios, they could consider donating these highly-appreciated securities directly to charity, which helps avoid paying capital gains tax that you would otherwise need to pay when selling the security. It also allows you to minimize a large position, which helps de-risk your portfolio. Another suggestion is to utilize a donor-advised fund, or a DAF. A DAF is an account where you can deposit assets for donation to charity over time. The donor gets an immediate tax deduction when making the contribution to the DAF and can still control how the funds are invested and distributed to charity. A DAF can be extremely useful to if you hold a securities-no-cost basis, a highly appreciated stock, or concentrated position. In all these scenarios, the tax liability can be circumvented by moving that position to a DAF. And on that point, here's a charitable giving planning tip. A DAF may be particularly useful when bunching your charitable contributions, which involves donating several years worth of charitable contributions all at once, which is done for tax planning purposes. For example, charitable contributions are only tax deductible for those who itemize their deductions. This year, the standard deduction is $13,850 for single filers and those married filing separately. It's $27,700 for those married filing jointly and $20,800 for heads of household. To help you itemize your deductions to exceed the standard deduction amount, one may consider bunching multiple years' worth of charitable donations. This may allow the donor to exceed the standard deduction this year and take the itemized deduction, yet still distribute the funds over the current and subsequent years. Roth IRA conversions. A Roth IRA conversion is the process of transferring retirement funds from a traditional IRA, SEP, or 401k into a Roth account. Since a traditional IRA is tax-deferred while a Roth is tax-exempt, the deferred income (coughs) taxes due will need to be paid on the converted funds at the time of conversion, and there's no early withdrawal penalty. With all these suggestions, the key is to evaluate your personal tax situation. This strategy may make sense if a saver believes that the postponed tax liability in the traditional account will be more onerous as retirement approaches. For example, if they think tax rates will go up if they move to a higher tax state, or if they will be earning a higher income in the future, which is not far-fetched scenario for some high net worth families. This may also be an interesting opportunity for folks who were laid off this year and have a lower income than usual. In these situations, it may be better to pay taxes now rather than later. It's important to note that if paying the tax bill now is too burdensome, then this may not be a good option for you. Another planning tip is that if it may be worth considering Roth strategies to hedge the risk of higher taxes in the future, given the rising federal budget deficits and the expiration of the current favorable tax rates in 2025. It's also worth sitting down with your tax advisors to determine how much income can be realized within the current tax bracket before creeping into the next tax bracket to assess how much in traditional retirement funds to convert to a Roth. Next is beneficiary updates. Retirement accounts and insurance policies have beneficiary designations that pass outside of one's will. Therefore, even if you did estate planning, it's important to review your various beneficiaries' designations to ensure that your money passes according to your wishes. Also, be aware and plan for changing family dynamics. Did a family member who was a beneficiary on your camp pass away this year? Did you want to alter the beneficiaries because your family dynamics have changed? Be sure to reach out to your advisor to update them on your situation and discuss best practices. The example I always give is regarding an ex-spouse inheriting your assets. It's not unheard of for monies to pass to someone you don't want, like an ex-spouse, if you never updated your beneficiary designations. It's worth reviewing your beneficiaries once a year to ensure something like this does not happen. <clears throat> and here's a timely uh, planning tip that's tangentially related. In late 2019, Congress passed the SECURE Act, which eliminates the stretch option on distributions from inherited retirement accounts. Under the new rules, most non-spouse beneficiaries are required to fully distribute inherited balances by the end of the 10th year following the year the account owner dies. Conducting annual beneficiary reviews is a great way to identify clients whose estate plans have been impacted by this change, and it may prompt discussions with clients and their heirs, around efficient wealth transfer strategies, for example, utilizing a charitable remainder trust to replicate the benefits of the now defunct stretch IRA. <clears throat> now let's discuss year-end estate planning considerations. So the federal unified estate and gift tax exemption for 2023 has been at an all-time high of $12.92 million or $25.84 million per married couple. I've read that the projected inflation adjusted to the exemption amount for 2024 will result in another significant increase. Additionally, the gift tax annual exclusion is projected to increase from $17,000 per donee this year to $18,000 per donee in 2024. Given an extremely divided Congress, many of the changes imposed under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, especially these all-time high increased exemption amounts, will sunset after the December 31st, 2025 deadline with the laws scheduled to revert to those that existed prior to the passing of this act. Planning needs to be flexible to adapt to any changes in legislation. However, absent any new legislation, these high exemption thresholds are temporary and are set to be significantly reduced at the end of 2025 to pre-2017 level of $5 million adjusted for inflation. The good news is there is still about two more years to take advantage of planning opportunities to optimally utilize these increased tax exemption amounts. Depending on your assets, current estate and gift tax exposure, and broader cash flow and estate planning goals, there are gifting strategies that should be considered prior to the 2026 to take advantage of this window of opportunity. There may also be opportunities for large lifetime gifts, considering the historically high level of the exclusion amount. Which brings me to my planning tip. Benefits of utilizing spousal limited access trust or a SLAC. SLATs are irrevocable gifting trusts that move assets and future appreciation outside of one's taxable estate, but include a spouse's beneficiary so the grantor has indirect access to the funds in case they are needed for the in the future. SLATs are something I wrote about and spoke about last year. I also have an upcoming webinar on SLATs in February, so I won't go into the weeds here. Also remember, in order to have SLATs created by spouses for the benefit of the other, Recognized for gift tax purposes, it's often advised to create them at different times, even different tax years. Therefore, to complete these prior to the sunset at the end of 2025, you would need to start no later than 2024. Next, let's focus on strategic gifting strategies. As a result of the continued market volatility and challenging economy in 2023, certain assets may be depressed in value. Gifting these depressed assets, whether directly to a beneficiary or in trust, that have temporarily dropped in value, but have the potential for appreciation, allows you to move assets out of your estate using less of your lifetime estate and gift tax exemption, while also allowing you to protect all future growth from the eventual increase in asset values outside your estate. One practical planning tip here, for assets that were previously transferred to grantor trust and retained substitution powers, also should be assessed for opportunities to move low basis assets out of such trust at a lower current value in exchange for higher basis assets of equivalent value. Using a substitution of assets to undo prior planning strategies could allow you to mitigate capital gains and the lower basis assets that have appreciated inside the trust by returning them to your taxable estate and thus allowing them to benefit from the step up in basis at death with no impact to your remaining available lifetime estate and gift tax exemption, and no increase to the size of your taxable estate. Now let's talk about strategies that may work well in a high interest rate environment. So interest rates are important for more than just lending and bond investments. There are several types of estate planning strategies that use numbers derived from the federal funds rate and may be beneficial in a high rate environment. One of these numbers is the applicable federal rates or or AFRs. The Treasury issues short-term, mid-term, and long-term AFRs each month based on interest rates. These rates attach to a promissory note when loans are made among family members without banks involved. Another is the Section 7520 rate. The Section 7520 rate is a factor used making various calculations such as remainder interest, charitable deductions, and minimum thresholds for sophisticated estate planning strategies. All that being said, here's a planning tip to q on. Consider a charitable remainder trust or a CRT, which is one strategy that may become more appealing in light of high interest rates. A CRT combines philanthropy with tax planning. It is an irre- irrevocable trust that pays an annual payment to an individual during the term of the trust with the remainder passing to one or more named charities. Since the value of the grantor's retained interest is lower when the Section 7520 rate is higher the value of the interest passing to charity, and therefore the grantor's income tax deduction is higher. Furthermore, the grantor's taxable estate is reduced by the assets created to the CRT, as well as all future appreciation on such assets. Now let's discuss gifting strategies with less appeal in this high interest rate environment so we know what to potentially avoid. Some examples include a grantor retained annuity trust or a grant, an intentionally defective grantor trust and an intra-family loans which are linked to the monthly 7520 rate in AFRs. In times of rising interest rates, the grant assets will need to outperform the section 7520 rate in order for the appreciation over the retained income interest to pass to the grant's beneficiaries free of gift and estate tax. Additionally, selling assets likely to appreciate an intentionally defective grantor trust in return for a promissory note bearing interest at an applicable federal rate may produce significant gift and estate tax savings. However, as with the grant, the value of the assets sold must grow at a greater pace than, per, than the prevailing applicable federal rate in order for the appreciation to be transferred to beneficiaries free of gift or estate tax. And finally, intra-family loans will need to charge a higher interest rate to avoid being treated as gift loans. A planning tip to consider is that these strategies may still serve your planning goals. However, it's important to pay close attention and evaluate their performance in the current interest rate environment. Don't just establish these strategies and sit back and coast. A more hands-on approach is necessary in this environment. Next is 529 contributions. A 529 is a tax-advantaged college savings account that may provide an opportunity for immediate tax savings if you live in one of the 20 states or more offering a full or partial deduction for your contribution to the home state 529 plan. Most states require you to invest in the in-state plan to receive the deduction for your contributions. Though there are several states that are considered tax parity states, I Meaning you can use any five, state's 529 plan to receive the deduction. One thing to keep in mind is the annual gift exclusion. Make sure to make use of your annual gift exclusion if you haven't already used it. You can give up to $17,000 a year gift tax-free per person. The annual exclusion recycles on January 1, so if you don't use the t- your 2023 gift allowance by them, you lose it. <clears throat> Next consideration, superfunding 529 accounts. In this strategy, you can spread a tax-free gift to a 529 account over five years for gift tax purposes. So a married couple not making any other gifts to the beneficiaries during the five-year period can contribute up to $170,000 to a 529 plan for each child and with the election not run into gift tax problems. Now for a planning tip. If you're a grandparent, this one's for you. 529 assets are not currently factored in as assets for the purpose of determining Federal financial aid under FAFSA process, if held by grandparents, opposed to parents where they are considered. This may be a wonderful way for grandparents to stay for their grandkids' higher education without jeopardizing their ability to qualify for financial aid. Mm. Next is the idea, a common recommendation that I want to be sure to mention, which is tax loss harvesting. Tax loss harvesting is the process of selling securities at a loss to offset a capital gains tax liability. When reviewing portfolios with your clients, advisors should determine if there are opportunities to strategically generate losses to offset other gains. For example, using a tax swap strategy for mutual fund holdings allows you to realize a tax loss while retaining essentially equivalent market exposure. The key is that the funds are not substantially identical. Ways around that are using different fund companies that track different indices and may have a slightly different strategy, but that still have similar results. A common example I often use is swapping out an S&P 500 fund at one company and buying a total U.S. market index fund at another fund's family. One thing to be mindful of is minimizing short-term capital gains. This strategy may be used to limit the recognition of short-term capital gains, which are generally taxed at a higher federal income tax rate than longer-term capital gains. One creative approach to tax loss harvesting is to donate cash proceeds from the sales of stock that are at a loss. This is particularly relevant in a year like 2023, when some areas of the stock market may have fell in value. In this strategy, investors benefit from recognizing a loss by selling a stock that went down in value. The loss can be used to offset any capital gains for the year, or, or it could be used to offset up to $3,000 of your ordinary income. That is in addition to the charitable deduction you'll receive for your cash donation from proceeds of the sale. (coughs) And here's a planning tip that I always share with CPAs that I collaborate with, which is, remember, it's generally a poor decision to sell an investment, even one with a loss solely for tax reasons. There must be an investment strategy behind the sale. As I say frequently to tax-conscious investors, don't let the tax tail wag the investment dog. Next ideas regarding employer retirement plans, here are a few items to keep in mind. First, assess contributions made this year. You should review how much money you contributed to your employer retirement plan this year. If you are financially able to do, if you are financially able, able to do so, it's worthwhile to max out your 401k or 403b if you have not done so already. In 2023, those limits are $22,500 before any company match or $30,000 if you are 50 or older. Also be mindful of next year's contribution limits. For 2024, the contribution limit increased to $23,000. Catch-up contributions will remain the same at $7,500 for those 50 and over. Don't forget to make the required tweaks within your plan to ensure you are making the maximum contributions for the upcoming year. Then there's the always classic deliberation between a Roth versus traditional. The rule of thumb is if you think you may have a very high-income year, then a traditional IRA may make more sense. If you anticipate a low-income year, then a Roth may make sense. Also review your investment lineup and portfolio. Determine with your advisor if it makes sense to make any changes. This is especially applicable if your firm switched 401k providers recently, if you rolled over an old 401k into your IRA, or if you are approaching retirement. In any of those scenarios, tweaking your investments may make sense. Another important point is regarding the consolidation of old accounts. For individual investors, do you have old retirement accounts still held at previous employer? If appropriate, now is a great time to consolidate them into an IRA to keep your assets organized. It rarely makes sense to have old retirement accounts scattered at various institutions, especially old employers. It makes financial planning, managing the assets, and monitoring your progress unnecessarily difficult. I would highly recommend consolidating those assets today. Here's a planning tip, and this, is, this one's for business owners. It's common for business owners to neglect retirement planning for themselves, given the rigors of running their business. A retirement plan can not only provide a foundation for a secure future, it can also assist in attracting or retaining good employees. Business owners without a retirement plan may wish to get started by establishing a SEP IRA or a simple IRA, which are very easy to set up. Or maybe it makes sense to upgrade to a 401k plan that can offer more flexibility and customization, uh, customizing a solution that meets their needs. Additionally, with the passage of the Secure 2.0 Act, there are enhanced tax credits available for startup retirement plans. Now let's turn, <coughs> now let's turn to budgeting expense goals for the upcoming year. It's always essential for investors to assess their expenses and plan ahead. For the future. Given the challenging economic backdrop, this is even more important today than in previous years. One thing to consider is cash flow management for retirees. This is especially important since retirees must evaluate how much cash they will need in the year ahead to live on. They should work with their financial advisor to ensure they are able to meet their cash flow needs. Next consideration is mitigating sequence of returns risk. Make sure you have adequate funds in your rainy day account. Typically, Three to six months is a good rule of thumb for those who are still working. Retirees may target a higher cushion to sufficiently mitigate this risk, which is experiencing lower or negative returns early in retirement when withdrawals are made from an investment portfolio. The order of the sequence of investment returns can significantly impact your portfolio's overall value and consequently your ability to maintain your lifestyle later in retirement. Simply putting this cushion in cash is a prudent approach. And here's a a budgeting planning tip. While the U.S. market is up, many other areas of the global market may have dropped, including bonds and real estate. It's important for retirees to reassess uh, reassess their safe withdrawal rate from their investment portfolio. Many financial advisors use 4% as the safe amount of money an investor can withdraw from their nest egg every year. It's worth in reassessing these numbers every year based on personal circumstances, which may have changed your age, time horizon, and market performance. Now, a plan- now planning ideas for business owners. It's worth discussing with your business owner clients about how to tra- transform net operating losses or NOLs into tax-free income with a Roth IRA conversion. Business owners who record a net operating loss this year may be able to use it to their advantage. Unlike net capital losses, where taxpayers are limited to using only $3,000 annually to offset an ordinary income, Taxpayers can generally apply NOLs against 80% of taxable income. Clients carrying forward large NOLs can use those losses to offset the additional income from a Roth IRA conversion. The rules on calculating and utilizing NOLs are complicated, so it's critical for folks to consult with a tax professional. It's also worth noting that more information on NOLs can be found within IRS Publication 536. And here's a planning tip. Um, That's also for business owners, which is regarding qualified business income deductions. The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act created a new tax deduction for business owners known as the Qualified Business Income, or QBI, deduction. It permits certain pass-through entities or sole proprietors, partnerships, and S-corporations to deduct up to 20% of their business income subject to certain income thresholds and other limits. This deduction is also slated to sunset at the end of 2025. As a result, accelerating income to obtain the 20% deduction may provide significant tax benefits for business owners who qualify for this exemption. Now let's discuss income tax planning. The first important item to consider is utilizing tax projections to help lower your tax bill in the future. This is something your CPA can help you with. These projections show what your tax future might look like based on a set of assumptions. They're most impactful for people who have, who have control over the timing of their income, like a business owner. In general, year-end income tax planning often involves trying to accelerate deductions and defer income while being sure to take advantage of lower marginal tax rates and avoid income bunching in future years. A good starting point is using your income and deduction information from your last ret- return and adjusting for anything you know about the current year, such as changes in income, tax rates, potential deductions, and so on. Then calculate where your taxes would be based on those conditions. The more you know about your current finances, the more accurate the projection will be. That's why it's important to wait until later in the year to run a projection. For clients with more complex finances, like business owners, executives with lots of non-salary compensation, or someone retiring this year or next, you may wanna run a few tax projections a year based on different scenarios. Since income tax brackets are slated to revert to the pre-tax cuts and Jobs Act levels, the top top tax bracket may increase to 39.6% from its current 37%. So the typical decision of deferring income may not be a smart decision. Not only is the top rate increasing, but the middle tax brackets will expand to capture people who are in lower bracket today. Now for some planning tips. I've included just an income tax cheat sheet of opportunities to consider. Let's run through it quickly since we are short on time. First, opportunities to consider in a higher-than-usual income environment it may include maximizing contributions to tax advantage accounts, accelerate income tax deductions, and tax-loss harvesting, all these strategies I've already mentioned in this program. And on the other hand, opportunities to consider in a lower-than-usual income year may include converting pre-tax assets to a Roth IRA and proactively taking distributions from your IRA account. Okay, the next idea is alternative minimum tax considerations with incentive stock options. The Alternative Minimum Tax, or AMT, is an alternate tax calculation that is computed by removing many of the typical income tax deductions, like state, local, and property taxes, and in some cases, including additional income, such as from the exercise of incentive stock options, so it can result in a higher tax liability. The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act significantly increased the AMT exemption amount, meaning it increased the threshold at which a taxpayer is subject to the AMT. However, this exemption amount will return to pre-tax cuts and Job Act levels in the event of a sunset, so more taxpayers may be subject to the AMT. A planning tip given this reality is regarding the exercise of incentive stock options, or ISOs. ISOs are considered to be an income for regular tax purposes, but it is—I'm sorry— ISOs aren't considered, I don't have to be clear about that, income for regular tax purposes, but it is considered income for AMT purposes. This can result in AMT being due in the year of exercise. For people with ISOs that will be available to exercise pre-2026, it is advisable to take the potential change of exemption into account when developing an exercise strategy. And the final idea today is the age-old question, should you invest or pay off debt in this environment? This is not particularly related related to year-end planning, but it's very relevant for planning in a high-interest rate environment and should be discussed with clients who are faced with this dilemma. Determining to use your excess cash flow or investment assets to pay off debt or to contribute to your savings and remain invested can often be a matter of personal preference, and there's no easy answer. While you may have the opportunity to earn greater returns from investments, many investors prefer the relief from eliminating the burden of debt from their lives. While I can't provide an easy solution, to what I will offer, what I will offer are points of consideration. First, regarding higher rates and investment income, if inflation moderates, current yields available in fixed income investments may finally provide investors in this air in this asset class with interest payments that make bonds more attractive. It's not uncommon to get paid 5 or 6% on investment-grade fixed income these days. This is very appealing for high-quality bonds and should be considered unless you have a large debt burden. Now let's just explore debt. It's important to remember that not all debt is created equal. The most important factor in determining how to best advise a client is classifying the type of debt with which they are burdened. For example, credit card debt is the cancer of personal finance. The average credit card interest rate is, is somewhere around 23%. So this type of debt can be very can very quickly grow out of control and become insurmountable. In such a situation, I would advise clients to sell their investments even at a loss in order to pay down their credit card debt in full. There are other types of debt that, while still not great, may be less bad. One example is a variable rate loan. The solution in such a situation depends on many factors, including when the rate is scheduled to rise, the purpose of the loan, and the client's projected cash flow to pay down the, this debt. For a borrower with an investment property whose mortgage is set to climb higher, I would evaluate the property's monthly cash flows to determine if it's possible to keep the investment profitable for a few years until the market dynamics change or the market goes up in value. Running to sell an investment may or may not be optimal depending on the situation. Then there are those clients with the so-called good debt who are temporarily having difficulty paying their debt payments because business has slowed due to do the economic environment. Take a homeowner who refinanced their mortgage in 2021 to a 15-year loan at a sub-3% interest rate. I would advise this client to continue to maintain their loan at historically at a historically low interest rate and find other non-discretionary expenses to cut to avoid selling stocks or other investments in order to pay down this debt. The message I'd like to end with is personal finance is personal. The goal of investing in financial planning is not about how to achieve the best return or the most optimal tax strategy. It's really about being able to reach your goals while allowing you to sleep at night. Striking this balance is different for everybody. It's important to evaluate your personal goals, circumstances, and risk tolerance and put together a plan that makes sense for you and your family. And that concludes today's program. Should you have any follow-up questions, you can reach out to me at jonathan at parkbridgewealth.com. Email is generally the best way to get a hold of me. In my practice, I help a wide range of high net worth families manage their assets in order to achieve their financial goals. And I love collaborating with their tax and legal advisors to implement the plan to help them achieve their objectives. Naturally, feel free to reach out if I can help with that. And with that, it's a wrap for this week's show. Any comments or questions, feel free to reach out directly to me via email. I love hearing from my listeners. And finally, as I end every episode, the secret to financial success is no secret at all. It's to spend less than you make, invest the difference prudently, and ignore all the noise. See you next time on Jonathan on Money. Thank you for joining me on today's episode. I hope you were able to take away a nugget or two to apply to your own life. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can be alerted whenever new episodes drop. If you'd like to submit a question that may be answered in a future show, please email me at Jonathan at ParkBridgeWealth.com. Be sure to check out all Jonathan on Money content, including all of my articles, webinars, and videos by following me at Jonathan on Money on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Finally, if you like what you heard today, please rate the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps ensure that other personal finance enthusiasts can find the show as well. Thank you and catch you on the next episode of Jonathan on Money.